Welcome once again to the Global Gale podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and I'm back again with another weekly podcast for the 70 odd million people of Irish heritage around the world. And this week it's something of particular interest to most of them it has to be said because I'm going to be talking to Larry Donnelly uh, about the voting rights for the Irish abroad, right? It's something that has come up and it's something that interests many of us. Some people it doesn't interest at all. Some people out there who hold Irish passports have no interest in voting there. But I said, should we may as well go through the details of it and what it's all about and who's talking about it and why. I hope you're all well wherever you are in the world. I'm coming to you live from, well, not live, you're probably listening to this recording, but I'm certainly speaking live. I'm still alive the last time I checked. Uh, from my little studio here in Stockholm in Sweden where I've lived for the last it'll soon be 24 years and it only feels like yesterday that I was standing above in Dublin airport and I was on the way out of there a um, few bits of housekeeping of course again I'm still looking for stories if you have any about um or St. Patrick's Day and what you guys are doing for St. Patrick's Day and the wilder and the weirder and the, f- the less of you the better, right? So if you're in the South Pole somewhere and there's you and two penguins organised a parade, let me know, right? I want to see the pictures. I want to bring that story to people. Obviously, I want to hear from the Irish in Melbourne and in Montreal and in Dubai and everywhere else besides, right? I've sent a few mails out to various different people, that kind of thing. Search through the mailbox, go through the old junk folder, boys and girls, and you might find me in there and see if you can get back to me. And we'll try to give people a sense of what's going on around the world to celebrate St. Patrick's Day because uh, it'll soon be upon us. It is February here as I'm recording this. You might be listening to this five years down the line. We might already have our votes. There might have been a referendum. So, Jesus, what do I? know you know and so if you can get in touch with those things that would be brilliant and the other thing i'd say to you is right i've over the last couple of weeks or months i've been putting together a little kit right and i'm now in a situation where i have all the machines i need to be able to come to wherever you are and put on a live podcast right with video and all lads so if you happen to have an event in Dubai or in Abu Dhabi or in Melbourne, I'm looking at the Women's World Cup down there by the back door as well to see if we can do something like that. Float the idea. If you're going to be investing stuff in a business expo for Irish business in Los Angeles or whatever else, right? Get in touch. I can come with a three camera setup that's tiny. It takes up no space whatsoever. And we can connect microphones into it and we can broadcast live onto your Facebook page or your YouTube channel or whatever happens it to be. The technology these days is just amazing. I remember when I first started sitting in front of a microphone back in the mid-90s, everything was criminally expensive, right? And you wouldn't be doing that with video because that was even more expensive again. Uh, And since then, the advances in technology have been amazing so that we can do things like that we can bring live podcasts we can get out and of course the price of air travel has come down as well so we can get out and do those things and i'd love to do that it would be a great excuse for me to come and visit irish communities abroad and i must talk actually to joe o'neill who you would have heard a little while ago on the podcast talking about dry january and how it lasted for a year the last time he did it uh, i'd love to come over and i'm going to try to get over there by the end of february and see if we can do something with the irish creative community over there but you listen that's not what you're tuning in for this week you want to hear 
care if you're going to be allowed vote in a, in a presidential election or if there's going to be anything, any constituency for you to vote for Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael or Sinn Féin or Labour or whatever class of loony was willing to put themselves forward or maybe even your local council around where your ma lives if that was the last place you were registered there because it is something that's very, very important. And as you'll hear in the discussion between myself and Larry Donnelly, Larry is just an incredibly intelligent man. If you don't know who he is, you'll see him writing on the journal.ie about this subject and you'll see him taking part in debates on TV3 and on RTE and this kind of thing. Are they still called TV3? I don't think they are, are they? But uh, you'll see him called on for his opinion because he's an extremely highly qualified uh, legal scholar and he's working down below in the University of Galway, but he's actually from Massachusetts originally. And the difference between him and somebody Irish who moved to Massachusetts is that we can't vote anywhere and he can vote in both. So that's why I decided to get in touch with him. I said, if there's anybody who's going to be able to explain this subject to me and to everybody else around the world, it is Larry Donnelly. Before we get stuck in there, I usually say that this is a community supported podcast. Uh, it only exists because we exist, the 70 million Irish around the world. And I would very much appreciate it if you could support me in doing this, right? It's four podcasts a month. If you could support me for a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash airman in Stockholm. That's a little over a euro podcast, lads. You won't even get a newspaper and certainly not one that takes the Irish community abroad as seriously as I do for that class of money every month. So if you can fire a few bob into the hat, please do so. It will help me to keep uh, help to keep bringing you these podcasts every week and help me keep in business. Help me keep buying microphones and cameras and everything else like that so we can come out and visit you. And we can look at you on the internet when we're talking to you on the podcast and the whole lot. But that is all that I have to say about that for now. So let's get on with it. Larry Donnelly talking about voting rights for the Irish abroad and how we might just get a say in who the next president of Ireland might be. Larry, it may seem like a dumb question to start with, but to me it's a little bit of an obvious one, right? You're both an Irish and an American citizen. Where can you vote, my friend? Uh, I vote both in the United States uh, and in uh, and in Irish elections. Uh, here I vote uh, by virtue of the fact that I'm a citizen and I am resident here uh, full time, uh, but also uh, under United States law and indeed constitutionally in the United States, because I am a United States citizen, uh, I never forfeit the right to vote. Uh, so since uh, I've lived in Ireland, I've been here since 2001, uh, I once missed a town election but other than that, I have voted in every federal, state, and local election uh, uh, that has been held since 2001, despite the fact um, that I am resident here, uh, and I have been resident here for 22 years. Does that seem strange to you when you look at the fact that I've lived outside the country now for, for 23 years, and I haven't been allowed vote pretty much since I left? Did it seem strange to you when you arrived in Ireland that, oh, you know, they don't let immigrants vote? They wouldn't have allowed, you know, your mother or father vote, for instance? Yeah, it was deep, deeply shocking to me, to, to, to be honest. Now, look, I understand that in some ways, you know, that there's, there's a scale uh, of allowances that countries make in terms of the participation uh, of their citizens resident abroad in, in the democratic process. And I completely understand that. And the United States would happen to be on, shall I say, at the extreme end in terms of allowing participation uh, in just about everything. Mm -hmm. But what really took me aback was the fact that if you are gone out of this jurisdiction for a very short space of time, you lose your say 
altogether. And that to me really strikes me uh, as disproportionate and unfair given, uh, again, the name of this podcast is The Global Gale. Uh, This is a globalized world. And what I often say to people here, and there are an awful lot of people here who defend the status quo, uh, what I often say to them is to consider to themselves, uh, if they left the country, uh, would they cease to be Irish? Would they cease to love where they're from? Would they cease to want to have a say uh, in the outcome of its affairs, which which affects them in intangible ways and affects their loved ones still in Ireland in many very tangible ways? Would they want to have no say or could they reconcile that? Uh, and, you know, and again, it's very interesting to me. So I just, uh, for, from my own point of view, uh, I would be devastated if I didn't have a say uh, in uh, elections in the United States, a country I still love dearly, just as uh, Irish ex- uh, immigrants dearly love the country they were born in. I usually say that this podcast has a sort of a limited audience of about 70 million people around the world. Is that the big threat, Larry, that all of a sudden we would or could become a constituency that is pretty much out of control for politicians in the Republic of Ireland? That That is one of several, uh, in my view, red herrings that get thrown out in this debate. Uh, and in particular, that 70 million uh, number is shaped by uh, the diaspora in the United States uh, in particular, uh, which is tens of millions strong, which uh, I think Ireland at many levels is very fortunate to have because it gives us uh, an extraordinary say and it has benefited this country immensely. But the reality is that a very, very tiny fraction uh, of those individuals are entitled to Irish citizenship. They need to have uh, at least one grandparent uh, who was born here to be able to claim Irish citizenship, which in and of itself uh, takes a bit of time, a bit of paperwork to go through, uh, not to mind the process of then going uh, and participating potentially in an election being held 3,000 miles away. So that number really grossly overstates um, the extent uh, to which uh, the Irish electorate could be swamped, so to speak, uh, by citizens overseas. Uh, the estimates of how many actual Irish citizens there are living uh, overseas varies. It's anywhere between, depending on who you ask, and these are important questions to ask, uh, anywhere between about a million and a half up to close to three million. It's somewhere in um, that vague space uh, is the to- is the total number. Um, and again, the number of Irish passports being claimed in the wake in particular uh, of Brexit from the United Kingdom has accelerated uh, or increased that number substantially. But I think in terms of um, you know that that the, the number in the swamping fear. Uh, I think that some of the figures from other countries, and again, the vast majority of Western democracies do allow for citizens uh, abroad to have a say. Uh, I think that numbers in terms of participation or the rates of participation uh, are quite instructive from that point of view. Uh, and the rates of participation, for all sorts of obvious reasons, uh, tend to be fairly minimal. Uh, that having been said, those citizens who would like to have a say, who are vested in this country for all sorts of reasons. Uh, I think it's grossly unfair that they have absolutely no say as things stand now. Um, way back when he was a minister, when our late departed friend, Marion Fanukin, we used to be on her show, you and me, at various different times. And one of those times, Leo Varadkar was there and he gave me the line of uh, no taxation, no representation. Uh, that was one of the, th- the arguments that he made. That's not an argument you're a fan of either, is it? No, no, I, I'm I'm really not. Uh, number one, again, uh, to to draw on international comparisons, this is something again that the argument that gets made against uh, American uh, immigrants or American citizens abroad. Uh, there's a sense out there that uh, because we Americans all pay tax, 
uh, that then that's fair enough that we vote back in, in the elections in America. The reality is that only those Americans who are on very high salaries, sadly, uh, I don't make enough money to, to be in this bracket. Uh, only those Americans who have very high salaries pay anything in the United States. And also uh, that is offset by the taxes they pay overseas. So you're talking about a tiny fraction in only one country uh, of more than 125 uh, that allows citizens overseas uh, to vote uh, in any way, uh, tie it to taxation. But that's just one. The, the one that bothers me more is the one that equates this idea of citizenship almost uh, as a balance sheet equation. And, and I think that's a very, very dangerous road uh, to go down, this idea of no taxation uh, without representation. To me, that says that, you know, part of, you, you know, you pay a price almost to vote, uh, and that is through your taxes. Uh, and that is dangerous because um, the reality is we can all think of people, and I hate to use this term, but this is the only logical place this argument takes me, is people who might be net seen as net liabilities if we reduce citizenship to a balance sheet and that they take, take more out of the exchequer um, than they put in. Uh, and I think that's a really, really unfair uh, argument when it comes to what citizenship means and what citizenship uh, is all about. So I would try, I would urge politicians who, who adopt that mantra uh, to use it very, very cautiously because it could have all sorts of negative consequences. And one of the realities is that if we want to, in, to reduce citizenship to a balance sheet equation, there are citizens of the uh, Irish citizens living abroad who contribute more to the exchequer than citizens who are here at home. Is that really the place uh, that they want to take this debate? Because I think that that would be grossly unfair. Certainly nobody uh, would suggest that someone who might be on disability allowance, might be on carers allowance, et cetera, that they should be disenfranchised from voting. But when you say no taxation, no representation without taxation, you are at least implying that. It's also the thing as well that, you know, I once had a company in Ireland, you know, salaries were paid and VAT was paid and all these other taxes were paid. Nobody ever thought of that as taxation. That what they meant was income tax. You know, you need to be paying 30% of your salary or more before you get to have a say here, which kind of makes the whole thing fall down, especially when you think of the size of some of the big companies working in Ireland who pay little to nothing and who have a great influence on our politician. Um, you're there in the University of Galway. Uh, I, I noticed that you're above the bar. You haven't even been called about. You're above the bar. You're that high up in the legal system. I love it. You know, um, where do you see this? Where did this come from? Where did this, you know, if you look at the 125 odd countries that allow people to vote and Ireland that doesn't, what do you think is behind that from looking into it? Yeah, you know, I I'll get I'll get deep and meaningful with you for a minute, Philip, if I can. Uh, I I think that some of you know the 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 the, the legal regime and the, and the law around this. I think to some extent, um, I suppose, is rooted in the fact that Ireland does have uh, number one quite lenient uh, lenient citizenship laws when it comes down to conferring citizenship. Uh, you know, all you need is one grandparent born here and you're a citizen. Uh, I think that's one aspect of it. I think the fact of very very high emigration uh, in the past and the swamping fears. I think that also is there. But I actually think there's something more to it than that. Uh, and I think it's a complicated relationship that an awful lot of Irish people who have stayed home uh, have with 
um, you know, their brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, etc., uh, who've emigrated over the years. And it is this, it is, you know, we love you, we miss you, uh, we really, you know, we're so happy the way you, you how, you know, that you've gone somewhere else, you've done something, you know, you've achieved, we're, we're really proud of all that, but you left. And when you left, that means that you don't get to have a say as to how we do things here. You might like where you live, might be in a different life, et cetera, but you're gone. And when you're gone, you're gone. And I hear that kind of cold sentiment, which actually is, is at, at odds with so much of the good stuff and rightfully good stuff, even the good relationship that Ireland has with citizens abroad in its broader diaspora, at one that's you know yield, had many mutually beneficial effects. But there is that sort of sense um, that I think is underneath that, uh, that it is underneath some of the commentary here and some of the quite strong opposition uh, to allowing citizens abroad to have a say. A few years ago, I was asked by the Social Democrats, who are sort of a newly formed party in Irish politics at that stage, if I consider standing for them in Europe. And uh, I said, yes, I would. And I went up in a selection convention against Gary Gannon, who's now a TD for, for Dublin. And uh, one of there was a woman who said to me, and you know, I don't. She she didn't hide the anger that she had. She went, you know, well, I prefer to vote for somebody who stayed. Yeah, and that was I left in nineteen ninety nine, just as things were going up, you know. But I think she was sort of linking it back to two thousand and eight and the crash that happened there. And I mean, I don't know if it's a justifiable anger towards me, but it certainly echoes what you're saying there that there is a thing that people who stayed at home, you, you remember this as well. That you know, when you would visit Ireland, you know, people would say it's like America at home. You know, any sort of new technology or that kind of thing was like having what you grew up with. On that subject, Larry, do you think that? You know, you're from Massachusetts. Do you think that the Boston Irish, the Chicago Irish, the New York Irish, the San Francisco Irish, are they in any way interested in Ireland, in the minutiae of Irish politics? Do they care what happens there at all? Uh, a, ver a very, uh, it's a good question. Uh, in my experience, a very small percentage are, uh, the vast majority of them are not vested in, in particular, uh, Irish domestic politics. Of course, uh, there would be interest, an ongoing interest in uh, Irish unity in Northern Ireland and all those sorts of, uh, of topics. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, I suppose, the, the more mundane issues in Irish politics, uh, especially when you're talking about, you know, people who are second generation, even first generation, even some of, you know, I grew up, a lot of my friends' parents were Irish, um, you know, they wouldn't have much interest in things, they, they, they're, they're removed from it. But there would be there would be a certain cadre of people who are very interested and extremely vested in what happens in Ireland. And what I what I often hear is, you know, this this idea you mentioned the Chicago Irish. What was once put to me by a very well known journalist was, you know, why would we give you know an old man uh, whose granny happened to be born in Kerry and he's lived in Chicago uh, all his life? Why would we give him uh, a right to vote? Uh, in Irish elections. And I say, well, that's, that's, you know, that's an example you're going to use. But I think for all sorts of very obvious reasons, the likelihood that he is going to go to the trouble uh, of voting in an Irish election is very, very small. But who is likely to vote? Who The person who's likely to vote is, for instance, uh, the Irish educated young professional or whatever it might be uh, in a variety of different fields who has the opportunity to come to the United States or go somewhere else in the world for four or five years to get experience which he or she intends to bring back to Ireland. They're extremely vested in Ireland, extremely vested uh, in the system. 
But because they're gone for four or five years, that means they have no say whatsoever. So it's that example. Those are the kind of people who are most likely uh, to vote a, a from, from, from overseas. And those are the people who, in my view, it's incredibly unjust uh, that they have no say whatsoever uh, in the de in Irish democracy. And again, we can have all sorts of conversations about time limits and all that. And I'm, I'm happy to do that because I do think um, there are reasonable discussions we can have and reasonable compromises we can achieve. But the fact that when you're gone, you're gone, uh, I think really is appalling. It's at odds with Ireland's openness, its welcoming spirit and everything else. And again, it's at odds with the rest of Western democracies. We really are an outlier in this front. We'll have a look at some of those solutions in a second. But coming from the background that you came from, you mentioned earlier on there that you were kind of shocked when you arrived and realized how severe that was. Six months and it's over. You don't get to say anything. Do you think that, you know, there are maybe second or third generation Irish Americans or people in Australia, which has become another great safety valve for Ireland in the last 20 odd years? Um, do you think that people there might have a greater interest in Ireland and in Irish politics if they did have a right to vote? Because right now, there's no point in them taking much interest because they can't affect it in any way. Yeah, I do. I, I do. I, I I think this argument has been persuasively made by some of my uh, friends and colleagues with whom I'm involved on votingrights.ie um, that they've they've argued that in terms of sustaining uh, a relationship with the diaspora, especially, you know, in terms of the United States, as emigration has slowed to a trickle in recent years, one of the ways that we can strengthen the bonds uh, is to give uh, you know, second uh, Irish passport holders. And again, we're still talking about people who have at least one grandparent born in Ireland. So their ties are there. Um, but in terms of, you know, of giving them a greater say and allowing them to have that say, that can only improve uh, relations uh, and tighten the bonds that exist. And I think we all know um, the bonds that, that, that these bonds have yielded great dividends for uh, both for the both for Ireland and for uh, the broader, I suppose, communities that people have emigrated to. So, yeah, I think it's it's one of the things that, that, that that's out there. I remember back in 2008 when the crash happened that, you know, one of the first things that many government departments were doing was reaching out to Irish people abroad, including yours truly, because, you know, Sweden wasn't in the euro, Norway wasn't in the euro. So places like this actually had a capacity to be able to help Ireland. And they started to take these places seriously as markets. And it, you kind of do feel a little bit lousy when that happens. You go, yeah, OK, you'll pick up the phone now, you know, but I will never get to have a say in who, you know, the next minister may be. And um, if you were, you know, you mentioned votingrights.ie there. There, which is a great place to go for anybody who wants to know more about these things. What would your personal ideal solution be, Larry? What, what, what votes would you give me in the morning? Well, what 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 I'm working on and what we in votingrights.ie are working on right now is uh, the proposed, which the government has promised will happen, uh, a referendum granting all Irish citizens, uh, no matter where they reside, uh, a vote in presidential elections. And the president, Irish presidency, as listeners will know, uh, is in many respects a, a symbolic office, but it's an, it's a massively important office because, uh, again, given the the president's constitutional role, uh, she or he uh, is the president of all the Irish people, of the Irish nation, uh, and that Irish nation is all over the world. We believe um, that this is a very reasonable and indeed a, a modest uh, step in the in the right direction of giving Irish citizens who don't reside within Ireland uh, a say uh, in who that outward looking symbol uh, of Irishness 
will be. And I think that that's a really, really good step um, in the right direction. Now, we have to see what the people are going to say to that. Uh, and I, I, res I obviously we will respect what, what people will say one way or another. If we are successful in that regard, then I think that the question becomes, do we look, for instance, uh, at the French model where they have Senate constituent, where we would have Senate constituencies uh, comprised uh, of members of the diaspora uh, who would speak to diaspora issues, but also uh, would have a say uh, on domestic issues. Uh, and then I'm, you know, I'm I'm willing to see what 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 the what the appetite is is for uh, in the if, you know, following on from that to potentially uh, representation uh, in Dal Aaron. But again, I'm happy to have uh, to, to you know I, speaking personally uh, I'd be happy to have conversations because I think reasonable compromises can be arrived at uh, on all of those but again I keep coming back to my basic point which is having no say whatsoever to me uh, is really anti-democratic in that way then if we're looking for a referendum which the government has said will happen on voting rights for immigrants right to me rights aren't always there to be voted on there are you know rights that are absolute and there are rights that are conditional right and you know yeah there are absolute human rights there's the right to life there's the right to you know to a roof over your head and food on your table and all of these things right i get the feeling that given the citizenship referendum that happened maybe 20 years ago that removed the right to citizenship from people born on the ireland on the island of ireland which i find is one of the most shameful decisions that we ever made as a, as a nation and, and uh, as as voters do you expect voters to say, yes, this is an obvious thing, we need to give those rights to people? Or do you think that that resistance and maybe that sort of that resentment, that little bit of resentment that exists towards the Irish abroad sometimes, that that may actually sort of stop this from ever happening? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to what you've what you've just said. I want to I want to hit one thing on on the head that I think you advert to indirectly there, and a lot of times um, people who oppose um, my own view or, or the view of voting rights.ie on this. One of the things they say, and they're absolutely right when they say this, they say that uh, we're more interested in giving right, we're giving the vote to people who live in Ireland who may not be Irish citizens for one reason or another, that they deserve a say. And I always say to them, that's a separate matter, but I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, don't, you know, we, we're looking at something different, but I couldn't agree with you more uh, on that point. So I think something definitely has to be done in that regard uh, for the new Irish and the people who have contributed so greatly uh, to Irish society and as somewhere along the path uh, to Irish citizenship, but they haven't gotten there yet. So I absolutely think um, that they should have uh, a say uh, in that regard. Sorry, I got fired up there. So I lost the, the second point I wanted to make in terms of the question. Yeah, so basically I was thinking that maybe this residual resentment that exists towards the Irish abroad and these simple, simplistic arguments like no representation without taxation will stop me from ever having the right to vote again. Yeah, I, I think we should make no mistake uh, about the extent of the opposition uh, to um, this proposal and uh, to the initial proposal on, on voting rights for president. Uh, that opposition has surprised me, to, to be to be frank. Uh, some of that opposition exists in the corridors of power. Uh, it exists uh, within some journalistic circles. It exists among uh, a lot of people who I ordinarily find to be very reasonable, uh, you know, clear thinking, who I agree with on lots of other things, uh, but who, when it comes to this, uh, we're just on completely divergent tracks. And indeed, uh, I quite regularly have it out with some of them uh, on the issue. 
So look, this is not going to be an easy one, even when it comes to voting rights for the presidency. I believe that this is going to be uh, when and if this happens, it will be a close run campaign. Uh, and indeed, when it's going to happen is very hard to know. I mean, the government has promised um, that it will take place at some stage so that if it's successful, it will be in place for the 2025 uh, presidential election. Uh, time is ticking. Time is going quickly. Um, and one of the one of the questions, this is another one, Philip, another point that I, I keep making is that in addition to some of the, how shall I put it, ideological opposition or the other reasons we've discussed for opposition to uh, expanding the franchise, one of the other things I think, and this potentially could be the hardest one of all to overcome, and it's this. As you know, uh, we are in the grips uh, of a housing uh, and a health crisis. We also are seeing, sadly, uh, in many circles, the rise uh, of anti-immigration sentiments, something that I think politics and the system needs to get to grips with very quickly. There's an awful lot going on uh, in this country at the moment. And in that context, uh, I think some some of the sentiment, which I think is going to be tough for us to overcome, will be, well, that's an interesting idea, lads, but we have an awful lot of other things that are far more pressing for us to deal with now. Uh, so in addition to all the other reasons for opposition, I think that's going to be a difficult one for us to overcome too. Where do you expect that opposition to come from? Because I've met people, like I know Leo Varadkar at the time I met him in RTE that time didn't want to give me a vote. I don't know where he stands on it now. I'm presuming because he's Taoiseach and he's agreed to have a constitutional referendum that he's somewhat inclined to give it a chance. Are there specific political parties that are pro and anti? Are there specific, now we don't need to name names of journalists, but who are the kind of people who will be against this? And I suppose that's what I'm asking you. It's a very good question. Um, look, the government parties are, are four square. Well, well, at least in, in terms of their, their platform, uh, the government parties are four square. Uh, behind this, they they've backed uh, they they backed the proposal to extend uh, the right to vote in presidential elections. They the, the Greens, Fine Gael, and Fianna Fáil uh, are unanimous, at least at the top level. Now, uh, you know, if you talk to individual TDs and senators, some of them have different views. Some of them would be opposed. Um, moreover, uh, Sinn Fein is an enthusiastic proponent of. Uh, expanding the franchise. Um, now, uh, that's another element we haven't yet discussed, uh, but that fuels an awful lot of the opposition uh, in the sense that in particular, uh, voters in Northern Ireland and in the United States uh, will, uh, that they're, they're having a say, will benefit Sinn Féin uh, disproportionately. Uh, and there's an awful lot of opposition predicated around the fear of, as many people have put it to me, Jerry Adams and the Aris. Uh, so there is a, a big, big element uh, of that. Uh, in terms of opposition ideo ideologically, uh, it's interesting the point you made uh, about about the Social Democrats and some of the feeling that you encountered. And this is what strikes me is that to some extent, it, it's not really ideological. It's not a right-left issue necessarily. There is opposition across the ideological spectrum, and there is support across the ideological spectrum. So, for instance, we have a, a you know a lot of people backing us who you know are, are, are with the repeal with the repeal the eighth campaign. Uh, you know, a lot of them very strongly because they felt um, that they should have had a say in that referendum vote. Uh, they want this, this to be expanded. Yet at the same time, what a very strong supporter uh, of our is Declan Ganley. So we have support right across the ideological spectrum in terms of left uh, and right. Uh, who will oppose it? I think there's an awful lot of people, you know, I hate to use the term silent majority, 
But there are an awful lot of people who, when it comes right down to it, will say, look, we're here. We deserve a say. The people outside don't deserve a say. Uh, and I think that that, you know, that combined with some of the other uh, lines of opposition will fuel um, that sentiment. And I don't think, despite the institutional support, despite the Sinn Féin support, uh, I don't think we can underestimate that. Uh, and I really think, uh, you know, as well as some of the other, other issues, you know, we, we've spoken about, to return to the Sinn Féin point, um, there is, you know, a significant uh, se segment uh, of the Irish population who will see this as a benefit for Sinn Féin, and especially given Sinn Féin standing in the polls at the moment, uh, some people are, are quite afraid uh, of their entering government, which probably is inevitable at this point, uh, and will see anything that they can do um, to stall their rise to power, to, to, to you know, to give them a kick, uh, they will see this, you know, as one way of doing so and will oppose the referendum on that basis. It's funny that though, Larry, because I mean, we talk about democracy and the idea that you're not going to give somebody a vote because they might use it against you is probably the most undemocratic thing I've ever heard, you know, and that's the, the hard part for it because I've never voted for Sinn Féin in my life. I don't know if I ever would. Um, but the fact that, you know, if somebody would say to me, well, there's a chance that, you know, I don't like your politics so therefore you can't have a vote. That to me is not what democracy is. You know, that's it just strikes me as being profoundly anti-democratic. I, I agree. You know, at, at that philosophical level, I, I absolutely agree with you. The, but the, in the other thing um, that I've said to some, to some of these people, you know, is uh, on the one hand that, you know, as opposed to the rise of Sinn Féin, and I get why for, for all sorts of reasons, whether ideological or having to do with the past or whatever it might be, um, they have uh, reservations and observations, to, uh, you know, to objections to Sinn Féin. But if you look at the opinion polling, uh, you know, repeatedly, it suggests that, uh, you know, the people want to unite, a majority want a united Ireland. And, you know, as, so on the one hand, they're worried about voters from Northern Ireland, you know, having this disproportionate say, uh, potentially in a presidential election. But at the same time, uh, they want a united Ireland. And of course, uh, Sinn Féin with, you know, its votes from the North, et cetera, uh, you know, they they would think might be, you know, have a, have a big say in Irish politics and a disproportion, you know, those voters will lean towards Sinn Féin and could skew things uh, one way or another. Um, you know, look, that's their fear. Uh, I would say to that that I'm just not 100% sure that uh, allowing, in, in particular, uh, you know, people in Northern Ireland who are Irish citizens uh, to vote, that that necessarily equates with uh, Sinn Féin leaping, leapfrogging everyone. For instance, uh, I think that an awful lot of um, uh, Irish citizens in Northern Ireland would have been very, very attracted to the incumbent. I think an awful lot of them would have found Michael D. Higgins to be a very, very strong candidate and would have rallied around him uh, for all sorts of reasons. So I think some of the fear uh, that's out there, and of course, fear is a very strong emotion in politics, uh, but some of the fear that's out there, I think, is overwrought. And, uh, you know, another thing I would say is that, look, um, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Greens, uh, the, you know, are all in, in favor of this proposal. And, and if this really was going to lead to uh, Sinn Féin taking off or, or going on an even higher trajectory than they're at right now, um, there's an old saying out there that turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So, uh, again, I think some of that fear is overwrought. You mentioned the people in the north of Ireland there as well and the possible disproportionate effect that they could have on things. You know, essentially, we eventually want them all back anyway, is basically, you know, the sort of majority sentiment. So if you can't give them a vote in a presidential election, what are you going to do if you do manage to reunite the country, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That that that's that's my point precisely. So there's there's an, a, a contradiction uh, inherent in, in some of their reasoning, um, but you know, nonetheless, 
uh, for speaking strictly politically, uh, I don't think we can underestimate how much of a factor that will be when people are asked to vote yes or no uh, on expanding the right to vote in presidential elections. What will you have to do to convince people who are on the fence or who are maybe viscerally opposed to giving immigrants the right to vote? What will you have to do to convince them, Larry? Yeah, well, look, you know, it, it, it's it, it's funny. It, the, 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 I've been involved in a few political campaigns over here, and you know, one one of one of my uh, one of my good friends is Noel Whelan, the late Noel Whelan, and one of the things Noel used to say was, "Look, you know, this is a rough equation, but this you can divide the electorate into into three thirds. You know, the people who might be opposed to you into three thirds." One of whom, one third of whom, you're never gonna, you're never gonna convince one way or the other. They're just never gonna be with you, and that's that. The other third are gonna vote for a whole sort of different reasons that nobody can kind of put their hands on one way or the other. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, it's gonna have no impact. Some of them might come with you in the end. Some of them won't go with you. The other third, and these are the key point, are the persuadables. And I think to that point, I think we need to continue to make the arguments. Um, that we made, uh, which is uh, to an extent repudiating um, the, uh, you know, some of the falsehoods, uh, particularly the 70 million, uh, the, ta the no representation without taxation, uh, some of the things that are out there. And, and again, I also think the fact that this makes us an extreme outlier uh, in Western politics. But I also think you have to appeal to people's better nature, not just repudiating falsehoods and, you know, clarifying matters. But I think you also have to to point to some of the benefits um, they're out there that we're not looking to, uh, you know, people like you, Philip, but lots of people have gone, Irish people who've gone elsewhere, who've seen things differently, who've acquired really valuable experience and insights and everything else and knowledge and can bring that to bear uh, at the ballot box and the potential benefits that could accrue uh, to Irish democracy from that. One of the things that I, always, that I often say is that some people, it's all about a democracy that functions to me, we should want a democracy that flourishes and to involve people, uh, our immigrants and Irish citizens abroad, who are so closely tied to this country that they still want to have a say, they still follow Irish politics, they still want to go to the bother uh, of casting a vote, whatever the mechanics of that might be. We should welcome that and we should say that's a great thing. Uh, we shouldn't be afraid of it. What would be an ideal solution then? Because I've often thought about maybe having a constituency where, okay, even if there are 70 million votes, well, we're still only voting for two or three different seats. And that would then offer you the, the chance of plurality where it might be a Sinn Féin candidate, a Fine Gael candidate and a Fine Fáil candidate so that all parts of the political spe spectrum from the Irish abroad are, are represented. It might be the Shannad. When you sit at it, uh, when you sit back and take your academic legal eye and look at it, what would be possible? What would be fair? What would be preferable in your view? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the, you know, as I alluded to before, the, the French model, you know, where you have, uh, you know, you have seats in the Senate that are set aside for French uh, citizens living overseas, and which are designed, I suppose, specifically to uh, advocate for uh, issues that they might have uh, on a variety of different things, but also that they have a say uh, in domestic politics as well. The the bottom line, Philip, is that um, the, the 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 possibilities here are really endless. You know that there are examples we can draw upon uh, internationally, uh, but there are also ideas that we can come up with on our own and be creative. And we can look at, for instance, constituencies for you know you know, there are, we can look at global constituents, you know, if we look at the entire world and we look at, you know, some of the bastions where Irish people always went to the UK, uh, to the US, but also now to, you know, increasingly to continental Europe, to Australia, to New Zealand, 
to South America, all around the world, and who bring to, to bear, again, uh, a range of really interesting perspectives. To have their voices heard uh, and for them to be uh, involved in Irish politics, again, uh, in my view, could lead to a system, where, uh, a flourishing system, not just a functioning system, and one that could enrich uh, debate, enrich policy, um, and make, you know, make, make Irish society better. And at the end of the day, um, that's what politics is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be uh, creating and helping to create and foster uh, a better society. Uh, and Irish society, look, Irish society is not confined to this island. Irish society uh, is global. Uh, and I think our politics should reflect that. How do candidates in American elections treat you? Because they can't go knocking on your door in the University of Galway, right? Do you get those roto calls? Do you get literature from them? Do they contact you? How does that work? I do. Yeah, I, I regularly get uh, when it when it comes to presidential elections or uh, United States Senate elections. I, I won't say they chase me at local level. My my town clerk tells me that I'm the only person constantly begging her for ballots to vote in uh, town elections. Uh, but when it comes to uh, presidential elections and United States Senate elections, I regularly get uh, robocalls from Washington, from phone numbers in Washington, D.C. or for United States Senate uh, seats in Massachusetts. I get phone calls. Uh, from Boston, um, and you know, asking me to, you know, well, have I have I cast my absentee ballot, or if I haven't, would I do so, et cetera, et cetera. So I get those uh, all the time. The other important thing is that within the Democratic Party, which I'm a member of, and Democrats Abroad, which I'm an organization of, uh, a, a member of the organization, we actually have we're actually a presence at the uh, at the Democratic Convention. We award delegates to uh, a presidential candidate, so there are primaries. Uh, around uh, all of the the different countries that have Democrats abroad chapters, uh, and we are you know are recognized. We're almost the fifty first state, uh, if you were if you will, uh, at the Democratic National Convention when it comes to presidential elections. So uh, yes, we have a say. Now, of course, um, you know the number of Americans abroad, living abroad, American citizens abroad, is relatively paltry. Uh, but still, um, we have been, Americans abroad have tilted the balance uh, in a number of different elections, uh, in particular places like Alaska, um, that have a high percentage of people living uh, in different countries. And would they tailor their messaging then to Larry because Larry lives abroad? Or would you just get the same call that anybody still living in, in Boston would get? Yeah, we 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 would we would get the. It depends on which level you you're speaking about. I mean, in terms of presidential elections, yes, there you know presidential candidates, not the candidates themselves, because the votes are still at home, uh, and you know that's that's where their focus is. But yes, there would be you know there would be aspects uh, of the platform, and there would be surrogates who are sent out uh, around the world to try to uh, you know listen to the issues that. Uh, Americans uh, resident overseas have uh, and how, you know, what 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 would we like to see done on the things that affect us, particularly uh, on matters of taxation and income taxation, something uh, we desperately would like to see reformed. Uh, but yeah, they do listen to us. They hear us out um, and they know that you know, every vote counts when it comes to presidential elections, uh, even the highest le level elections in the United States. Uh, remember, it's not so long ago, if we go back to 2000, um, the presidential election in the United States between Georgia George Bush Jr. and Al Gore uh, came down to a few hanging chads uh, in Florida. So potentially you could make the argument that those, um, you know, could have been voters overseas, could have made tip the balance one way or another. So, yes, uh, you know, there is an outreach to all of us. But and again, this speaks to some of the fears that people have. The, vote, the focus is definitely at home, but they also have to take account uh, of us overseas as well. And I don't think that that would be any harm for, for, for instance, 
candidates in an Irish presidential election to, to at least listen, and technology would be a great aid in this, but to listen to uh, and to seek and tailor a specific message to the Irish citizens who are living abroad. I'm going to ask you to have a quick look in your crystal ball before we wrap this up, Larry. The presidential election in 2025, will I have a vote there or not, do you think? I'm going to try to be positive and say yes. Um, I hope so. I sincerely hope that 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 you will. I hope that there will be a referendum in 2024. Uh, I hope that it will pass. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, I'll try to be optimistic. Uh, if I take put on my raw political pundit hat, uh, I'm not so sure. But I, you know, as an advocate, uh, I'm hopeful that we can get this done. I know that this, you know, the government ha is interested in doing this. But I'm also sympathetic. I understand there's a lot of other issues that are out there. Uh, but hope springs eternal. And finally, what can the global gales do to get this right? What, what can we do? Who do we need to talk to? What do we need to get involved in to ensure maybe that we have the best chance of having the opportunity to vote in 2025? Well, there's a glo global Irish civic forum, uh, you know, which is coming up next year. Uh, and sorry, later this year, I understand. Uh, and, you know, it would be good to make as many submissions that I know that they invite submissions on issues that matter uh, to, to, you know, to make the people's voices heard and known uh, how they feel about this issue. I think uh, an awful lot of um, an awful lot of Irish uh, citizens living abroad do re retain close ties to elected officials here. I think making your voices heard that, look, uh, you know, my I live in wherever I, I might happen to be. Uh, my, you know, my family, are constituents of yours, um, they think I should have a say. Again, what do politicians respond to? They respond to those sorts of uh, clarion calls. So I don't think there would be any harm whatsoever uh, in more people, you know, who live uh, outside of Ireland making their feelings known uh, to the, you know, to the elected officials who represent the constituencies um, that they originally come from. I look forward to casting my ballot at the embassy here in Stockholm. And uh, if there is a Larry Donnelly on the ballot, I might even give him a preference. But for now, thanks so much for talking to me, Larry. A great pleasure, Philip. Thanks a million. My country welcomed so many sons and daughters of so many countries, Irish and Scandinavian and Germans, Italian and all the rest and gave them a fair chance and a fair opportunity. The Speaker of the House of Representatives is Irish, of descent. Leader of the Senate is of Irish descent. And what is true of the Irish has been true of dozens of other people. In Ireland, I think you see something of what is so great about the United States. And I must say, that in the United States, through millions of your sons and daughters and cousins, 25 million, in fact, you see something of what is great about Ireland. There you go, John F. Kennedy speaking to a huge crowd in County Wexford when he visited Ireland way, way back when. My mother is from that part of the country and you had the John F. Kennedy Memorial Park there and he came... And back then he was talking about 25 million Irish people or people uh, of Irish extraction in the United States of America. And I wonder how many of them there are today. There's probably a lot more today. Probably a good few of them listen to this podcast as we go along. Right, that is it for this week, my friends. Uh, as I say, if you have any stories that you want me to tell, please do get in touch. We are always looking for women to come on the podcast. Always looking for people with great business ideas. People who are running famous Irish bars and restaurants around the world and 
entrepreneurs, all sorts. If you're doing anything in sport or whatever, please do get in touch and get yourself on the podcast here. One or two little sort of uh, hooks out in the water now. And I'm hoping to get a bite now for the, the next couple of episodes of the podcast. But do get in touch if you fancy being featured on this podcast. In the meantime, look after yourselves, look after one another. And I'll be back again next week with another episode of the Global Gale podcast. Good luck. Thank you.